Welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast, brought to you by Comfort Mechanical Contractors Durham's premier commercial HVAC installation and service company. For more information, go to comfortmc.com or call 919-383-2502. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, and as you can tell, my voice is about gone. I'm going to try to get through this. I've also got my co-host, as always, Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, and as you can tell, we're missing Josh, guys. I think the game just got to him. He went into the woods. He has yet to come back out. We can't reach him by phone. So we had to call in a Hail Mary. We had to go to the bullpen. We had to bring back one Jordan Mann of the Big J and Little J podcast. So we're thankful that Jordan on uh, last minute could come on and join with us. We've got a lot to break down. Yes, we know. There is a Virginia game upcoming this weekend. But there's a bigger elephant in the room, and that is the UNC game that happened this past Saturday night. But as always, before we give our thoughts, let's hear from the man himself. Here's coach, head coach Mike Elko post game. You know, first off, hats off to those guys. Um, you know, that's that's what rivalries are. That's what rivalries are about. And certainly have to give those guys credit for the plays that we made. Uh, extremely proud of, of my team. Uh, proud of how we fought. Proud of how we competed. Proud of how we battled. Um, proud of how we rallied in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, this one stings, you know, and, and um, you know, we knew they were a really talented team. We knew we were going to have to just scratch and claw our way to stay in it and hang in it and hopefully give us a chance in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I thought we did that. And, uh, you know, we just we just couldn't, you know, two years in a row, we just couldn't stop that kid with the game on the line. You know, he's an, an extremely talented kid. He's unbelievably competitive and, um, you know, sometimes he just wills that team to win, and, and he certainly did it again tonight. And so um, it's kind of my statement. And again, that was head coach Mike Elko giving his thoughts after a heartbreaking loss to the UNC Tar Heels 47-45. to This was one that should have been won by the darker blue team. Let's just go ahead and say it. But for the second year in a row, somehow, someway, Drake May and the boys were able to keep the bell. So, guys... Let's dive into it. We, we've got a heavy, heavy mailbag. I mean, Santa bag edition coming up shortly. And I'm sure there's a lot of UNC questions. But let's just get initial reactions to the game themselves. Jamie and I were actually at the game as, lo- uh, as well as Josh. But, again, he's not here. He's hiding somewhere in the woods. Jordan, Scott, you got to see the game on TV from a different perspective. So, Scott, why don't you go ahead and go first. Give us your thoughts of the game this past Saturday night. Well, um, I texted the guys multiple times in the second half. Duke needed just one stop, just one. And we could not find that stop. Um, let, let's be honest. I mean, I I trash them because I can't stand them. Drake May is unbelievable. The guy is pulling, you know, everything out of his backside, making perfect plays. I mean, he's making pitches to running backs that aren't even paying attention and getting third yards. He's getting demolished by somebody throwing perfect passes. Granted, there were guys 23 yards down the line of scrimmage, passed it in the end zone, hiding under the R of Carolina, which, by the way, for the record, Mo McIntyre got called for the same thing in the state game, standing on the line of scrimmage. So just want to, you know, point that out there to everybody. But in all honesty, I mean, Carolina played a, just a tiny bit better at times. 
I would have loved to have seen Duke, and I know we're not playing the what-if game and all this other stuff. I would have loved to have seen Riley Leonard there. Duke would have run up and down the field against that team and made them look bad. And the fact that they rushed the field after almost getting their hands, their butts handed to them by a third-string quarterback who, if y'all haven't figured out yet, is a pretty doggone good quarterback. I mean, my man Grayson is starting to ball out, and finally they're letting him let him do it. My man had a great game. Jordan Moore had a great game. Defense played their butts off. They did a lot of things. They did about everything they could. I've saw things I've never seen before. I'm still trying to figure out how grabbing the side of shoulder pads is a face mask. I'm still trying to figure out how a guy jumps between four people. Guy on the bottom ends up with the football, and the guy that's on the very top with his hands like this has gets called for the catch. And then as many times as they showed Elko on the sideline looking like, what in the devil is going on? He should have been in my house because I was making the same gestures, yelling, screaming, hollering. My wife finally looked at me and she said, you know, they can't hear you. I said, well, they ain't listening to him either. So, I mean, why not let me yell? But all in all, I mean, Duke played the game, played a great game. They needed the one stop. They didn't get it. Carolina managed to pull the golden horseshoe out of their butthole like to do every freaking time because that's what they are. They're just the luckiest, stupid pieces of crap you've ever seen in your life. They live under some kind of cherry tree where money falls out of it instead of cherries. They're just so freaking lucky. So hopefully this weekend when they go down to Death Valley, Dabo lays a behind whooping on them and says compliments of Coach Mike Elko. Jordan? Obviously, you weren't expecting to be on the episode tonight, so um, just give us your initial thoughts. You weren't at the game either. You you had to watch it uh, from the comfort of your own home. So overall thoughts with this uh, past Saturday's game? I mean, it's a tough follow-up with Scott. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, the big dog got loose right there. But I, I tend to agree with Scott. It was uh, – might I might be diagnosed with bipolar syndrome after that game of just how happy I'd got and then how quickly sad I became and then how happy I got and how sad I became and it like Scott said one stop and I, you never want to it's a chicken's way out it's always a not the best excuse it's like well the officiating won you the game but I can point to seven or eight calls that like I tweeted the I tweeted the three plays that got some recognition on Twitter. And that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like there's one of the biggest plays of the game I talked about on the Big J and Lil J show that is not talked about enough is Brandon Johnson got called for pass interference after Duke went up 40 seconds left. That ball was not catchable. That ball was five yards to the right and five yards too high. And the guy flopped in midair and got 15 yards. That was such a bad call and such a big moment of the game because there's 40 seconds left. That play happened, 35 seconds left. You give them 15 yards. They should have been at the 25 the whole time. Instead, that gave them – it turned out to be game-time field goal position later on. So just very frustrating because back-to-back years uh, felt like we're on the bad side of bad calls. And, uh, yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, piggybacking off what Scott said about – just talking about Drake May, first of all. We were actually talking about this, me, Brian, and Josh, and thinking that maybe Drake May might be one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen play live, uh, which I think I 
I think it is. I think I'm thinking back. I've seen, I saw Philip Rivers play in Wallace Wade. And then we went down to the Chick-fil-A bowl and saw Johnny Manziel. Obviously his pro career didn't turn out very well, but Johnny Manziel was a, a great college quarterback. But other than that, I can't think of anybody else. And Drake may might be even better than Johnny football as far as college QB. So Andrew Luck. Were you at the Stanford game? Oh, uh, yeah. I saw Andrew Luck at the Stanford game when, when they just beat the brakes off of us. <laughs> so, and were you at Jameis, uh, AC Championship game, Jameis Winston? I, I did not go to that game, so I didn't see that one. But, yeah, so Drake May is up there with some of the great quarterbacks I've seen play against Duke, but we had we, we had them and let them off the hook. Uh, when we scored and went up and there was 41 seconds left, I, I was jumping up and down and screaming just like everybody else. But then I'm like, there's 41 seconds left and they got timeouts. And I'm like, this is, this is not over. We needed the one stop. And I know Jordan mentioned the Brandon Johnson faux pass interference, which is that those refs were just freaking awful. Uh, and speaking of Grayson Loftus, man, he was awesome. There was, I tried to tweet some in Keenan, but Keenan has zero Wi-Fi, So like, it's a trash stadium. <laughs> but one of the tweets I did get out was all caps. And I put, that's a true freshman QB. Like, I mean, he was just making plays. He can make all the throws. And I'd like to actually see Duke. And we're going to talk about this some too, because we got some questions about Grayson Loftus in the mailbag. But I'd like to see Duke kind of loosen the leash on him a little bit. Because I feel like they still had him had him leashed up. And then they, they loosened it a little bit in the second half. And my man made all the throws. Like, just... Great throws. And, man, Jordan Moore, what a game. What a game from Jordan Moore. He shows the capability to me of being, of playing on Sundays eventually. It was a disappointing end. I thought we I thought we had it. I thought we had it. And we're going to get into a lot of stuff on the mailbag, but I was just disappointed. And we walked out dejected. Not Didn't want to see that bell getting rung or anything like that. The students rushing the field and all that mess. It was, it was just terrible. Yeah. I mean, this one went into my top five most disappointing outcomes for a Duke UNC game. Uh, it's up there along the lines of the 94 overtime loss, the inflatable helmet being uh, destroyed by the UNC team in 2002 after the last second field goal. And of course, the jump pass game back in 2019. And then last year's game, but we won't go down the bad memory lane. I will say, I know we've talked about the negatives. A couple of the positives that we saw. Things that we had not seen yet out of the Mike Elko era. How about that fake punt, guys, by Porter Wilson? Amazing. No one expected that to happen because Duke was basically on their own 25, 27, something like that. And then they made that call. First down, Duke. The other thing, and by the way, the, the guys will attest, I call this 30 seconds before it happened, the onside kick to start the second half. I had just said, wouldn't it be something if Duke just came out and onside kicked the ball just to show them that they they mean business? And what happens? Onside kick to perfection. Don't think we got any points out of it, but it was good to see that that all bets were off and Duke knew they had to do anything and everything to beat this team. Now, you said Drake May, a.k.a. Patrick, the white Patrick Mahomes. There were some passes that may 
through that any other quarterback in the ACC, it would have been either picked off or nowhere near the receiver that it was intended for. So you got to give credit where credit's due. Drake May, he is going to be playing on Sundays for a long, long time. Well, unless he goes to the Panthers, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> um, Omarion Hampton, fifth straight game over 100 yards rushing. That guy... I don't want to see him next year, but he's going to be back in Wallace Wade when UNC comes for the battle for the victory bell. Tez Walker, again, everything we thought he was coming in from Kent State. There were Duke fans vouching, begging, pleading, let him in, let him be reinstated based off the whole situation. Now I think we're all regretting that based off of what happened. There was no one. No one that could stop Tez Walker. And that's not a knock on our guys. He is just that elite of a wide receiver. He's going to be playing on Sundays as well. So one one unsung hero that no one's talked about for that UNC team, Noah Burnett, the kicker, six field goals made, six of six. He misses one of those. Duke's taking home the victory bell. Three for three on extra points. He scored a crap ton of points for UNC on Saturday night. He was the real MVP of that game. But, hey, back to the real blue, the dark blue. You know, it is what it is. I didn't really get that upset with the officials because we were talking about this before we hit the record button. This has been going on all year long with these officials, not just at Duke games. Like games every weekend, there is a team that gets sub. Quintly, I think that's the word, screwed by the ACC officials. I've never seen a business establishment have employees screw up more and more and more, and there be no repercussions or no changes or no actions. So ACC, if you somehow get this episode, you've got to do something in the offseason. This, this isn't going to continue. It can't continue because you are making this conference look like an embarrassment to everyone else. Why do you think teams want to leave? Just throwing that out there. On a positive note of what came out for Duke, and I'll open it back up to you guys. Sorry, I'm going to get on my soapbox really quick. Jordan Waters, guys, is three rushing touchdowns away from breaking the single-season record for rushing touchdowns. Steak dinners all around. He's got 12. He's actually tied right now with Mike Dunn and good old Robert Baldwin from the 94 team. Love Robert Baldwin. Todd Polino. I was hoping Josh was going to be on here tonight, but again, he's uh, searching for himself in the woods. Todd went five for five. He has made 56 straight point attempts. Pretty impressive. Y'all want to guess who's first in point attempts made consecutively? Someone, y'all just, y'all can unmute. Let me go Will Snyder wine. You were incorrect, sir, but that was a great guess. I had to go off the wall. Scott? Oh. I see his face. I just can't think of his name. The guy that should be kick, should have been kicking in the NFL that never made Ross, it. Ross Martin. Ross that's, Martin. Who I was, that's who I was going to say. Yeah. That is correct. Do you all want to guess how many point attempts he is he made consecutively for a Duke record? Polino's at 56. 75. Jamie? I'll go. I'll go one over. No, I'm gonna do the prices right. Go one over, Scott. I'll go. I don't know. Eighty-two. Try one hundred and fifty-two straight point wow. attempts. Made. Wow, that's crazy. I'd so Todd to be him, but I was like, Will Snyder went off the wall. But well, well, yeah, it's not, yeah, exactly. So Todd, if you're watching or listening to this episode, buddy, 
if you've got a COVID year, you can get from someone, get it, because you're going to have to be in college a while to break that record. But again, Topolino, you guys mentioned uh, Grayson. Great performance for him. We're going to need the same of that as we head into Virginia this weekend. But hey, we came up short, plain and simple. It sucks. Nothing we can do about it, but look ahead. And we will look ahead later in the episode, but we've got to get to Santa's mailbag because, folks, we asked for your questions, and boy, did they come in. Jamie spent, I believe, about three hours. Scott, you want to say one more thing? I'm sorry. Um, Quick quick question to the two of you that were there because I know Jordan saw this at home. Okay. Yep. When Burnett kicked the field goal at the very end, could you guys tell that it was wide right and then blew back left? Josh was under the uh, goalpost that he kicked at. Okay. He said there was never doubt. He said even though it looked like it, I, I, mean, I know. Yeah, on TV. I, I, yeah. From from my angle, it looked funny, but like I I couldn't tell because from section one hundred, we were like, what were we in, Brian? Kind of in the corner of the end zone. Yeah, cat, yeah. catty cornered. That, so that was kind of where you guys were. It was not the greatest of angles, but yeah. And I was going one more point you made. Brian, yeah, Terry Moore is a juke away from being negative six yards on that pass. He juked the defender. The defender went over to Pudding Cup on the sideline, who had been way past his bedtime eating another Pudding Cup, and got the first down. Because if he had not a juke that guy, he would have got taken to the ground and been six yards short. And Brian, real quick, before we go to mailbags, I think I have to correct you on the uh, – Onside kick, we scored. We were down 12. We scored to cut it to five. Onside kick, got it, scored again to go up. I'm pretty sure that's how that happened. Okay. I think that I think that happened. Okay. Well, thank you for correcting me because if not, Regina Lee would have would have that, had that's me. That's exactly who I thought about when you said <laughs> it. I was like, let me just go out and out of my way and say she, Regina at the time. <laughs> Regina, I love you. You keep me honest. So if I mess up, I look forward to you saying you were wrong, Brian, and here's all why. I, all I remember was uh, for the onside kick was that was another uh, another spot where one of my tweets finally went out. So I used the major league. <laughs> I used the major league gif or whatever. So yeah, North Carolina, you gotta you gotta put some TVs at the concession stand, get some Wi-Fi. I mean, my God. Anyway, all right. It's so enough of our reactions. Well, for right now, we're gonna move on to the Santa size mailbag again. It took Jamie about two. Two and a half hours to condense everyone's questions. It was um, it was something. I mean, we we had some comments. Like, yeah, yeah. And we're recording this on a Monday night, so Jamie, let's go ahead and get rolling because I really don't feel like being up till midnight. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna start with Facebook and I'm coming in with Ben Pie. I'm sure they tried their best talking about the refs. <laughs> we're we're going right back to the refs here. Sure, I'm sure they tried their best to make the right calls. It's just coincidence that the biggest decisions all went one way, right? Again, it can't be any other reason but chance, right? <laughs> so I thought that was a funny question, but Carolina seems to get those calls, like, and it happened last year. I will, and it happened I will, again this year. I will say this much, and again, not trying to be Debbie Downer, that was a fumble, not a pass that got knocked down by Grayson in the first half. That was clearly a fumble. But that's the only call that was correctly made that they reviewed and everything in Duke's favor. Yeah, and by the way, that interception was an interception. Josh and I were like five feet away. We saw it clear as day. Anyway, I'm sure that's a question too. Sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a question about reviews and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Pradeep uh, is coming in. If we, if we can all agree 
that this was terrible officiating, which I'm pretty sure everybody that's a Duke fan agrees there. Uh, he said just short of the abomination that was versus Miami years ago. How much of the officiating do you attribute to home field pressure, like basically being being some home cooking uh, on the rest versus the idea that they might just get paid more when the bigger schools win? And I, I mean, looking at it, there's always a little bit of home cooking, right? We, we see it in Cameron. We can't say we can't say there's not. We see it in Cameron Indoor Stadium. At least not Friday, under K. Not Friday night. Uh, yeah, at least under K. Shire, Shire is not uh, – he's not gotten to the point where he's he – He's got to build that reputation yeah. up. <laughs> he's got to – I think he's got to win a national title before he gets those calls. But, I mean, we used to see it. And, I mean, even, like, back in the day, back in – another basketball analogy, back in the day, K, K attacked Dean for getting all the calls. But that's – we're back to football. And last year, once again – to me, that was the most egregious call last year in Wallace Way because we we were what we were going to go up ten, yep, with like what two minutes to play. I mean, the game was basically over, Something like that. and I think Carolina was like either out of timeouts or they had one timeout. So that was the to me that was the most egregious when they took the touchdown away there at the end to take put us up ten. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> with the way that some of these UNC fans treated the Duke fans after the game, gosh, I'm starting to wonder if the refs realized if they had called that game for Duke, they might have been crucified before they got off the field. I mean, again, I'm not generalizing all UNC fans as that type of fan, but I will say with where the majority of the parents and the Duke um, fans were sitting, they were not treated exactly the best. Now, there's Duke fans exactly the same way. I understand. I get that. But again, it makes you wonder when these refs are huddling together after a certain call is made, they're like, all right, if we don't do this, then this is probably going to happen. Or if we make this call, then, you know, we can at least get the crowd on our side. I mean, I'm not saying that, but it just seemed like from what Pradeep was saying, it's like, come on, guys. Some of these calls that might have been a 50-50 toss-up were – you know, you just play, nope, nope, this is what it is. We're going to keep moving. So, and it wasn't just that. I think it was the review staff back in Charlotte, too. There were some that didn't even get reviewed. That right. people were like, wait a second, you reviewed X, but now you're not reviewing Y? What's your process to determining what a review is? So, I don't know. In theory, though, in all honesty, if you look at the at the groups that come through, Flanagan and his staff were supposed to be one of the best quote unquote, as the ACC lines down to where you get the Raleigh Johnson and Jerry Magalese and I'm blind, I'm deaf, I want to be a ref in their group. So the rest of them, I mean, he's supposed to be one of the best, but obviously they were not on their game. Is Ron Cherry still retired? Can we get him to come back? No, but the Duke was definitely getting the business that night. They, they were. And to go off of that point, like, What's frustrating about that game was Drake May was unstoppable. Like him and Taz were a special connection. Drake was on. And then every time there was an incompletion, there's a flag because it's almost like the refs were expecting a completion. And that's the frustrating part of things. Like he's a talent. He is, he should go one, one in the draft. Stop giving him every advantage there is because of some physicality. And Connor, my co-host broke this news to me today in our recording that Duke has a new AC or Duke. The ACC has a new head of officials, and the number one thing they had coming in this year was more physicality for defense, so less PIs. Duke got every PI call there was in Chapel Hill. And to go off of that question, 
you hear the groans of the crowd and you hear the UNC sideline, you're going to throw the flag because you just feel the pressure to because you think you missed the call. And there was a couple of times where Brandon Johnson and Chandler Rivers had their hands up like, what did we do? And that dictates the call right there of UNC's home crowd playing into it and the sideline begging for the whistle, and they got all the whistles. And it's it's frustrating because you, you look at it like Mac Brown is likely going to get those calls. Just like down at Alabama, Nick Saban is going to get those calls. And just right now, year two, Mike Elko is just not getting those calls. And it's, it's really frustrating. Matt, right. Max won 13 straight against Duke, by the way. Yes. That, that that was a stat that surprised me a lot. And they well, mentioned it a thousand and one freaking times on TV. Well, when Mac was at UNC the first time, we were bad, bad. Like for, for most of his tenure. Um, George Bunn on Facebook, he says he has a, uh, a discussion topic he wanted us to discuss. At the end of both uh, UNC and Notre Dame games, the defense has gone to rush two or three and drop eight or nine, and it has cost Duke the game. Thoughts on this strategy? And I, it's one of those things, like, against UNC, do you, you want to have everybody back? You want to stop Tez Walker from getting that big play, but you also want to get to Drake May, so... It's like, what do you do in that situation? So I'll just – I'll go first. Uh, Elko runs cover eight. So it, it's not just in the big mo. Like, people are starting to see that Duke rushes three and thinks they just rush three and play prevent defense and end the games. They don't. They it's, – it's a type of defense. They don't play prevent. They play, like, sidelines in the middle and stuff. You just can't see it from the TV perspective. And there was a uh, – my case in point, when Trey Freeman, when Duke played at NC State and he had that interception, Duke rushed three and confused MJ Morris with the coverage. They threw it right to Trey Freeman. Duke had it in the red zone because of that. That's just the go-to set that Elko runs with his three-down lineman. And, I mean, we got to we got to Drake May as much as we could and go off your point real quick. Like, if we do get out of that, then Drake May was just like, all right, there's Tez Walker. Here goes a 47-yard bomb. Have at it. So it's just kind of if you do it, you're screwed. If you don't, you're screwed. Right. If you if you bring a blitz there, I mean, and you don't get to Drake May, then next thing you know, it's a it's a Tez Walker touchdown. Did you have something, Scott? No, I was just saying it's essentially kind of what we discussed last week on the Durham Devils Club with Tyler Santucci about. He he kind of hit the same thing talking about it. And we did mention the play at, from Notre Dame. But his philosophy, the things that he mentioned, is how they run things and do stuff there. So just, you know, a perfect segue for that. That is a great segue, Scott. And if you want to be a part of future podcast where you could be a part of the interviews, go to DurhamDevilsClub.com. We had the Trinity Club members and above join us for the interview with Tyler Santucci. Uh, it came out, I believe, uh, Late last week, uh, so Saturday, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the members who are trying or everyone gets to listen to it. But if you want to be a part of the Durham Devils Club, the money goes directly to the players to help them out in day to day funds needs. You can also look at online, get a hat like this one I'm rocking right there, pretty cool cat hat. If you want more information, go to DurhamDevilsClub.com. And one more point <laughs> after the Durham Devils Club uh, advertisement. <laughs> uh, one more point about Santucci. When we were on that interview, he even mentioned something similar to what we just said about 
you know, if you blitz and you let Tez Walker run loose against Notre Dame, it was the, uh, I can't remember his name, but it was the big tight end that was killing us. Like, so if you blitz and you don't get to Hartman, the next thing you know, he hits that, hits that tight end over the middle for 18 yards or whatever. And it's a, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, basic, basic situation. So, all right, Bentley Weeks. Uh, are y'all fed up enough to leave the ACC yet? <laughs> are we ready to ship out to the Big Ten or something like that? If it was only Duke getting these screwed up calls, I'd have my bags packed ready to go. But this is a more, I think, official problem than it is just them focusing on one team and basically giving them the finger. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of unsatisfied customers when they send out a survey to the coaches at the end of the year, if we're being completely honest. Uh, I don't even want to think about leaving the ACC. We just got the new scheduling format set for the next, what, seven years? I'm sure after year four, it'll get changed again. Yes, fingers crossed, but no. Let's let's give it another year or two. Let's let's see if UNC comes back in to Wallace Wade next year, and there's more screwed up calls. Then okay, I might rethink my position. But no, I'm going to say put at least me personally. I, there, I personally would rather have sunnier and more seventies than cold, blistery snow in teens. So I'd rather go west or south. Heck no to the Big Ten. So and so is, the pack two. I will say there is a, I mean, there is a possibility too that, I mean, there's a real possibility if Duke gets whoever comes back at quarterback and we get some decent transfers, we could challenge for the ACC next year. Because Florida State's going to lose Jordan Travis, Carolina's losing Drake May. I mean, it's going to be kind of wide open next year, in my, in my opinion. And they just came out with how they're going to to do the 12 team playoff. Mm-hmm. What was it? At six of them are the conference champions. Mm-hmm. And then the other six are the highest ranked teams after that. So yeah, Duke could have a potential way in, whether it be winning the ACC title or they have a good enough season and they're ranked high enough. They could be in that as well. Yeah. I, I would like to see Puddin cup next year without Drake met quarterback in Durham. That's just, that's where I want to go with that. May did not do senior day, leaving it open. He no. could come back to Chapel Hill. It's not, that's I, will, not I will pack his bags personally <laughs> for him to get out of Chapel Hill. I never I would, want to see him again. I would be absolutely shocked if he came back. Like there's, the, For the me, there's chi- no chance. The Chicago Bears need him. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Josh Smith, who's uh, one of the guys on the Devil's Den podcast. Uh, he wants a minimum of 30 minutes clearly defining a legal catch. He says, talk about it like I'm five and I've never seen one before. We'll let you let you take this, Brian, because I'm pretty sure he's talking about the uh, the catch slash interception or whatever it may have been. You and Josh were right there. Yeah, so I, listen, I'm not a rules official. I don't read the rule books. I bend the rules more than I, I follow them. Guys will tell you that. From what we saw, the ball was thrown. I cannot remember the receiver. I know it wasn't Tez because if it was Nesbit, Nesbit, thank you. In our freaking flesh. Yes, Nesbit. Nesbit went up. There were three. I felt like it was three Duke defenders around him. He was coming down, bobbling the ball, and then who? Y'all help me because again, I it was so fast. Who was it that grabbed Chan- the ball? Chandler originally grabbed the ball. 
and Josh okay. Pickett was there too. Yeah, Pickett okay. was the guy that ended up with it on the ground, I think. So my understanding is, as soon as a part of your body touches the ground, if you have possession, that's that's the play. You're done. Stop play where it's marked. He was bobbling the ball. Chandler and Pickett were both – the ball was loose. And as he was hitting, the ball was going into Pickett's arms. They both fell. Pickett comes out of it. I mean, they were fighting for it, obviously, because Nevis bit realized he was going to lose the football. When a defensive player comes up with the football, like no question, it should have been an interception. By the way, if you're a UNC fan and you're watching this episode by chance, let me tell you, every UNC fan I've interacted with since that game has said the exact same thing. That was an interception. No doubt. Yeah, and and if you watch the replay, Nesbitt's never never touched the ground. So, I mean, what's what's a catch and what's not a catch? And it's they, just it's just unreal. Some people were trying to justify his his tush is what touched first, and that should have yeah that should have stopped the play. But he didn't have possession. Mm-hmm. He did not have possession of the ball, so it was a live ball. I, I don't know. I'm I'm getting riled up. I, I'll, I'll stop. I'll let Jordan talk. <laughs> no, I, to go off that point, what's the most frustrating part is they spent two minutes reviewing if Tez Walker stepped out of bounds on a deep route. Uh, not even if he caught the ball. If he stepped out from one yard from the line of scrimmage to the 50 yards at when he caught it. I'm like, what are we looking at? And then you don't review the play of the game. Tim Hasselbeck was all over it on the broadcast. He was losing his mind saying, how do you re- review in Tez Walker? doing that and you don't review this while Elko's in the ear of the official right there saying, review it, review it, review, review it. And at the end of the day too, it's a bad look when the defender, like anybody that has the ball on their back on the ground, to me, they have possession. Like if it was Duke on top of the wide receiver, he has possession. That's just, he called it. But instead it was two Duke players and one UNC player. Like the math isn't math and it's Duke's ball. How do you not look at it? Yeah, and we'll move on to that too because we had a another question about that. I'm scrolling through trying to find who asked it, but he, he was wondering why Coach Elko didn't challenge it. And I'm I can't remember. I don't know if any of you guys remember. I'm trying to think back because you do have a coach's challenge, but in college football you have to call a timeout to get said coach's challenge. And Elko never called a timeout. And I don't know did we have zero? Did we have any timeouts at that point? Yeah, we, we had all, all we had all three. We had yeah. all three. But the reason he it's funny you said this, but I saw this being a question too, why Elko didn't call a timeout. At the end of the day, like that it's an obvious review that the booth has to take care of. Like that is it's booth first and foremost. And then I don't know, I don't know that like I don't know if it was under two minutes or what, but the thing with Elko not burning the timeout is you need all three timeouts of the true freshman QB going down the field to counter that. And that's probably why I didn't call, and I don't blame him for that. Keep all three of your timeouts with Grayson Loftus going back the other way. The ACC, uh, I don't know if they were sleeping in Charlotte or what. I don't know what was happening. Hornets stink. They're not watching the Hornets. They just weren't watching any ball, and they dropped the ball. So I'm still furious about that. And that's a good point about having a true freshman QB with three timeouts because maybe if Riley Leonard's out there, a healthy Riley Leonard, you – Elko takes that timeout and he gets all up in the official's ear and just absolutely lets them have it and they end up reviewing the play. So but 
to go to your point, if Ryan Leonard's playing, we're, it's not a game. We're, it's not yeah, a game. going crazy. Well, John's scored 45 with Loftus. Loftus is bald. He's scoring 60 with yeah. Riley. Well, uh, I think Elko would have given the ref three timeouts and and an and an extra one from the Virginia game to get the review if it was Riley in there. Here's the other thing too, and I believe I'm right about this. So I'm going to preface my answer by saying I believe, I believe I'm right about this, that it is to the discretion of the replay booth, and some of those folks just are going to be hard-headed about it and only review what they want to review. And I think that's the situation. I'm pretty sure it's the situation. And that's why Elko was losing his ever-loving mind because it should have been reviewed. There should not have been a question. He should not have had to ask the first time. They should have buzzed down from Charlotte. From Charlotte, they should have buzzed the booth. The booth should have buzzed down. Somebody should have been out in the middle of the field, and he should have been looking – at the USC Oregon game on the TV screen while they were telling him, hey, that's not a catch. Instead, none of that happened, and that's why we ended up in the position we were in. And that would, have ult- that would have ultimately been the game, too. I think they need to just give coaches – I mean, I think it needs to be like the NFL. They need to give coaches challenge flags, and Elko pulls the red flag out of his pocket, and he just tosses it on the field. Like, that's, that should happen. You shouldn't have to call a timeout to get a challenge. That's stupid. Call it the NCAA really needs to change that, change that rule. Hey, don't let Jordan tell Connor that, Jamie, because he'll lose his mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next question, Adrian Filson. I thought this was a pretty good question, actually. He says, I know this goes against logic, but knowing that their offense, uh, speaking of Drake May and the, and the Tar Heels, their offense is great. Would it have been a decent idea for Jordan Moore to purposely step out of bounds at the one-yard line on that pass on fourth and seven. That way we remain control at the end of the game, and we are not at the mercy of their uh, their offense. Uh, you can't do that, like, because you just never know. Like, if, could you imagine, like, the PTSD is just in my head thinking of Deion Jackson's jump pass at the one-yard line. If Jordan Moore could have walked in for the what looked like to be the game winner, but he was trying to think of that scenario, and then we just don't get in, I would be absolutely a wreck. But I can see the I can see the idea behind it. But no, that was that would have been the play of the decade for Duke football. Loftus to Moore right there to beat UNC. Ultimately, like, and I'm a hundred percent sure. I think I texted you guys this. It felt like the same thing from last year. We gave May the football with a chance to go down the field with an opportunity where, like Jordan said earlier that if somebody even sneezed at Tez, it was a 15-yard penalty. So the only way, and I get where Adrian's coming from. I absolutely get it. But the only way I would have done that would be if I was down, say, two points, and I got a Polino chip shot. Then I am then I might tell my guy to go down and let's let's kick a field goal for the win with, with three seconds left. But then still, you're trusting, you never know what happens on a, on a kick, so... Uh, Matthew Jones on Facebook. And I had this question too. I, I had no idea where he was. And I think they may have been just riding the hot hand because Coleman was running really well. But he, he asked, where was Jordan Waters during during the OT? And I didn't know if he was hurt or Scott, did you see anything? Um, I He got hurt early in the first half. To be honest with you, 
the way they were setting up and running that same play to the left, had they set up in that play again, Jordan Waters would have scored his 13th touchdown because they were, I don't know what the devil they were running, but he basically beat the guy to the corner and just walked into the end zone as the two guys were following him both times. And he, I mean, I don't know. I think part of it is the fresh legs, though, because we mentioned that before. We mentioned the fact that Coleman, we thought, would get in the fourth quarter of some games, have them fresher legs, and that would be something they would use to the advantage. And he's very trustworthy, obviously, because we trust to put him the ball in his hands. But, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe he did get dinged up or something, but he was out there for the next series, so I'm not sure. All right, so Jason Rogers uh, says his heart hurts for the players, which I think all of us do. Um, what do teams do in situations like this? Would uh, he wants to know would would Nina King like go through proper channels and like send a like I guess a complaint to the ACC office? Not that that's going to help us, but if the ACC comes back and is like, oh, our bad, you know, or something like that. See Miami of 2000 and what what year? I always forget the years mixed up. 15 or 15? Yeah, 15. 15. I, yeah, 15. Because as soon as that game ended, everyone was begging um, the 80 at the time. I, I, his name, Kevin, uh, White. Kevin White, thank Kevin you, White. To, to send a protest into to Charlotte immediately because it was blatantly obvious that the ref just completely screwed up the ending of that game. But then, you know, someone made a good point. Say they did, and they came out and said, hey, you know what? You're right. Our guys screwed up. We're going to flip the ending. Duke wins. That would open Pandora's box mm-hmm. to outcomes that have happened in years past and in future games. So, yeah, she could probably send a formal complaint. They'll probably, you know – assess it. it and i don't know if the acc sends out uh, customer surveys to the schools but if i had to take a guess uh there's going to be a heavily worded email sent to the acc head of officials yeah i don't know if they like to go off brian real quick the one thing duke fans maybe can have like a moral victory of if the acc comes out with a presser on twitter with a post saying that they missed calls or the call should have been reviewed for the interception. Like that's the closest you can get to like a win necessarily. But that'd be great to see because if they double down and say, no, everything was called correctly, I will lose my mind. Yeah. And honestly, like you said, the outcome is not going to change anything. It doesn't matter how blatant it is and stuff like that. And that is the point. That's one of the things that stinks, obviously, for the players because some of these guys have never beaten Carolina and it just, it sucks beyond all measure and knowing that those guys warriored up played their butts off left it all out there on keaton stadium and they still couldn't get a win just it it breaks the heart for all of us yeah to go off that real quick scott i do feel bad for the senior the super seniors like the fourth and fifth year guys like Dwayne carter not ever beating unc and to know that he should have won with Deion jackson when he was a freshman Duke should have won that game last year and this year. That's three wins right there. And to have zero, that hurts me for him. Yeah, it's it's just a terrible way to, to finish a career. I know I know that Dwayne has moved on to UVA at this point, but you know he's got to be thinking about that in the back of his mind. And we, we love we love Dwayne too. So that's one of our favorites. Uh 
Peter Dodge. Can my money contribution to the Durham Devils Club be put towards the exit fee to allow Chapel Hill Community College to move on to a more worthy conference? He says, bet you those assholes won't be protected like they are in the ACC. He says, enough of those cheating bastards. <laughs> Let's pay homage to this team. They played their hearts and souls and asses off. In the end, 11 couldn't overcome 18. He says, I remain so proud of them. And on to UVA. So another, uh, not, not a real question from Peter Dodge, but just a Peter Dodge just preaching. Hey, he's our biggest mass hole, as he calls himself. And Peter, by the way, Kate Rogerson of ABC 11, the sports reporter, she said the other night to me on the field that she is a tried and true mass hole. So I told her about you. So you're welcome. You've got a mass hole in Kate if you ever uh, come across and talk with her. Hey, if let's be honest. If they ever left the conference, do you know how excited the whole freaking conference would be? You wouldn't have to listen to the whining and the complaining and the cheese and all this other BS. And oh, in fact, here one other thing. Sorry, I'm going to go on soapbox for a minute because this, yeah, I'm I'm feeling a little better. No pain pills in my system right now. All of you idiots wearing light blue that two weeks ago, I'm done with football. It's basketball season, and then you're all out there cheering like a bunch of morons. Are you freaking kidding me? You almost got beat at home by the third-string quarterback of a team that should have wiped you up and down the freaking field. Sorry. But let's be honest. Guys, I mean, uh, just frustrates the crap out of me listening to them talk out of both sides of their mouth. And then, you know, the wine and cheese and crying and complaining and all this other bull crap. And, by the way, for the record, Caleb Love doesn't go to your school anymore. So shut up about him. Well said, oh, well said. Amen, I mean, brother. We've amen. had more basketball references in this one episode than we have in the last four years. So, amen. Uh, all right. Nathan Kogaboon. Funny story about Nathan Kogaboon. His dad was a teacher of mine in high school. So, that was a really long time ago. That makes Six, me feel very old. 63, 64. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, does the firing of Jimbo Fisher. Raise concerns that they will call for Coach Elko. And is that enticing for him? Jordan, we'll let you take it since I saw you tweet about this a little earlier. Yeah. It's just, it it sucks because I don't think Elko, like the whole Northwestern Michigan State thing was just full of smoke because he was winning at Duke and they're like, oh, these are openings. There's a Duke coach. Let's just tag his name. There was no real shot that's ever going to happen. But there's probably like three legit places where I'd be worried about Elko, and that's obviously A and M because they have money out the hot, like out the ass. <laughs> they do. They have just a ton of money, and he was there four years, so he knows them. And Notre Dame, if Notre Dame for whatever reason opened up, that'd be a second one that I'm worried about. And the third one would be Penn State if they're like, you know what, James Franklin, you cannot beat a top ten team. That they just fire their offensive coordinator, so they're clearly something's not working there. Those are the three where I'm like, all right, I'm a little worried, but. For AM, yeah, it's something that we'll obviously keep an eye on, right? Because, like I said, he was – the one thing that I will say, sorry, I am going to get on a Scott rant here real quick, is Santucci is Elko's guy. Like, he's been with Elko like five stops now. Maybe this is a six. I can't keep track, sorry. But he's his guy, and both were 
defensive coordinators under Jimbo. So maybe AM just wants to cut that off completely because it's hard for me to imagine Elko going back to AM and cannot bring basically the guy that he is chaperoned in college football to be his defensive coordinator. So I think that's a plus for Duke fans, but it's not like the biggest plus because at the end of the day, the biggest plus is money signs and money talks. And hopefully Duke just keeps backing the brink struck up as much as they can. And I mentioned, I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that Jordan, because I, I texted that in our group text earlier. I was like, maybe Texas A&M wants to move on from Jimbo completely. And maybe they don't want anybody that has been with him on his coaching staff or otherwise. And I think I've seen a lot of A&M fans. They're, they're really hot and bothered for urban Meyer right now. So like, and a lot of A&M fans have are kind of not wanting Elko. They're like, they're, they've been saying that he's a great coach. I actually interacted with a, a guy. I think it was Texas A&M 365 or something. He has like 7,000 followers. I interacted with him some today. And he was just back and forth just asking me about Elko and all that stuff. But I think he was to the point where just two years of coaching experience at Duke, they kind of want to look somewhere else other than Elko. Well, here's the other thing that people are not thinking about. Whoever goes into Texas A&M, I don't care if it's Texas A&M, you're going to have to rebuild that program because the transfer portal is open for all players on Texas A&M. So there could be a mass exodus of players. So whoever comes in is going to have to rebuild the foundation to which to get them back to the prominence that that Texas A&M fans and boosters think they need to get to. On the flip side of it, if I'm Mike Elko, and I'm Tyler Santucci, and I'm Kevin Johns, I'm going, what positions do we need to fill next year? Torian York, remember him? He was supposed to be at Duke right now. And then at the last second, he flipped to Santucci, who was at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. So glass half full kind of guy, I see it as an opportunity to bring some more guys in from Texas A&M to boost this this team even more heading into next year when we're playing some teams we weren't expected to play in a couple of years, CFSU coming to Wallace Wade. Hey, wouldn't it be funny if like Elko doesn't go to coach at A&M, he stays at Duke, but then he raids them and like brings in all these all these players, which I mean, it could happen. You know, so. But it's got to it's it's got to be the right players. Sorry, Scott. You're right, the right, right players. Let, let's be honest. My personal opinion. Again, you take it for what it's worth. This is not anybody telling me this. This is not anything other than me personally. I believe two years out as the coach, he's not going to leave because his family is settled here right now. I think the fact that his son, his oldest son, is just right up the right up eighty five, ninety five. And the fact that the kids are in school, a junior and a freshman, and they love it here. That That's my opinion. I think that's another thing. Now, it's up to Nina King and obviously President Price to find that bag of money. A&M, here's what you need to do. Get you as many blonde co-eds as you can and some bag of money because Urban needs both. Yeah. Um, okay. Moving to the next question. Glenn Setliff. He says, I hope we can talk about more than just the refs, which in his opinion is getting old. This team put it all on the line and he wants to give them some props. He's like the fake punt on fourth and fourth and seven from their own 27, which we mentioned the onside kick Brian mentioned and forcing, forcing several field goals 
uh, instead of giving up touchdowns to that to that offense. And then he has a, a actual question: Has Loftus in our Loftus in our opinion jumped Beelin and a less than hundred percent Leonard, which we don't think Riley's going to play at all the rest of the year unless it's the bowl game uh, on the depth chart. So I think you ride the hot hand, to be honest. If even if Beelin's ready. I think at this point, if Loftus is the hot hand, I think you, I think you ride that. What do you guys think? I'll fall on the sword here. I'll definitely take this one. I believe that at this point, you don't take the ball away from him. He's done everything he's supposed to do to get Duke in the position they're in. They have an opportunity, like Elko said today at the presser. Two more wins. They're eight and four again. Guys. We're talking about, and if Duke wins, obviously, I'm anticipating them winning. That's four wins from a true freshman who's only been, who came in midseason, obviously. But a true freshman at this point, and nothing against Henry. I hate the fact that Henry got hurt, but it's Grayson's car right now. He has the keys, and until he either gets hurt, with Lord forbid, or something goes wrong, it's his, and he drives the Cadillac to the end of the season until we get to spring ball, and then it's up to them from there. To piggyback off that, Scott, a case in point, I know it's different positions, but the running back room, Jalen Coleman was the one-two with Jordan Waters last year. Jack was three. Coleman gets hurt, then it becomes Waters, uh, Jack and then now you got Coleman three, and those two were – Fantastic this year for Duke, and now Jacquez is a little banged up, and so Coleman's getting back into it. But to go off your point, yeah, you ride with the hot hand once they're producing, and then when the guy comes back from injury, something happens, step right back in. All right. Chris McCurdy kind of piggybacking off that question, but asking about next year's situation. He says, personally, uh, with Grayson Loftus, Grayson, good grief, I can't talk, Grayson Loftus, his performance yesterday, where does that leave the QB situation heading into 2024, 2025? And our sponsor, Jamie Hagler, actually also asked this as well. And he wants he wanted to know who transfers, who stays. Oh, uh, Brian, you can go first. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to be as transparent as I can be. Folks, the biggest thing right now is NIL. Players are getting paid for their play. They are getting rewarded. If Duke's NIL is not where it needs to be, I'm not going to put it back up, Durham Devils Club, you are going to see some players leaving. I'm being as honest as I can be. So if you got a rich uncle, a rich daddy, a rich grandpa, and you want to contribute, contribute to Duke's NIL. With that being said, if Riley comes back, we know Grayson's going to come back. You know who's coming in, Tyler Cherry. The kid's been putting up nothing but stout figures, and his videos have been off the charts. I I honestly don't know, because we said it last week. Let's say everyone stays and Tyler Cherry comes in. What'd they do with Jordan Moore last year? Moved him to wide receiver. While Henry Bielen was a quarterback this year, he could be moved to another position. As crazy as this may sound, Grayson Loftus could be moved to another position. We just don't know. Once 
when, and Scott, help me out here. You're you're the guru in transfer portal and everything like that. But once we hit, I think the end of January, is that right or February? We should know who is going to be on this team heading into the 2024 season. As soon as the second semester starts. So that would be January. January, the middle of January. Right. So there you have it. We don't know. I mean, we're we're in with the program, but we're not that in. To go one step further for you, Brian, I don't yep. think we'll know. Like, I hope, Kyle, please, Riley. <laughs> I'm saying Riley's one. That's point blank period. Riley's one in this hypothetical. For two, I think I'll go one step further. You won't know till spring ball. I think both guys are very competitive. Neither is going to pout and quit or transfer in December and look somewhere else. They're going to try and fight it out uh, in spring ball and see where they see where they line up. And then Tyler Cherry comes in, like you said, and he'll probably redshirt. So the battle of number two will be fun to watch in spring ball. Like, like I texted you guys the other night, I really think Tyler Cherry is going to have to fight Grayson Loftus for the keys to the car if Riley Leonard is not the the quarterback. Because they're, again, we're talking at that point now, five victories under his wing because we, we obviously think he's going to win out. And we obviously think he's going to go win the bowl game too. So I'm just saying, it's how do you cut bait from a kid who's done so well unless the other kid comes in and is just lights freaking out? Yeah, and in, in a hypothetical situation where Raleigh transfers or goes pro, like in that hypothetical, I don't want to see that. I mean, obviously, I want Riley back as number one. Y'all know how I feel about Riley. Uh, but in that hypothetical situation, I still think, I, like Scott says, I think you prefer Grayson Loftus as the number one. You don't necessarily want a true freshman starting unless he is just absolutely just legit and just the next coming of, uh, I don't know, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning thing? <laughs> So next next kind of comment here. Omaha. Omaha. Yeah. Next kind of comment here is from Maria Dalmalin, mother of Nikki. Dalmalin, you're sounding like me. <laughs> Dalmalin. <laughs> I don't know why I said Dalmalin. God, I'm terrible tonight. I don't know what's going on. Am I drunk? I don't know. Maybe. She says the UNC students were beyond rude. We couldn't believe it. She said their mothers must be so proud. And she said, I get that the away team gets the crappy seats, but their jumbo, their jumbotrons were ancient. She says, UNC can't pay for some legit viewing. Terrible. The fan experience at Wallace Wade is supreme and it, and it is always immaculate. And I will say, uh, Keenan Stadium, the seats were okay. You know, the, the backs with the seats. And I, I actually had plenty of room, like being six foot four, I had plenty of room for my legs in there, which was which was nice. But the rest of Keenan is a crap hole. Like that place is a dump. Like I almost broke my ankle out on the co- concourse. Like <laughs> legit, legit concourse Ke- one, Jamie zero. Ke- yeah, Keenan Stadium one. <laughs> yeah. And their video boards, what did they pay? Like uh twenty dollars for them things? Like our video board is way better at Wallace Wade, like way better. They well, gave all was, that money to Drake May. Yeah, yeah. It was well, hard. I mean, I mean it's kind of hard in stadium to keep up with the downs and keep up with the timeouts because you can't even see the freaking video board. Well, yeah, they're um, – I mean, the blue zone was full when the game started, and then at halftime, it was half empty. So it was almost like a regular Carolina game. 
And Maria said she have has one more thing to add, and it should have been first. She said, "All our boys fought and battled to the very end, and she could not be prouder." All right, so we'll move on to Twitter now. Wait, 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 wait! If we're being completely transparent and honest, the weather was a little cold on Saturday night, and I drove in with the guys. I I drove my truck, and it was like, all right, if it gets out of hand, Brian. You just say the word. We'll walk back to the truck. Be, let's be honest, guys. The first ten, quarter was 10 nothing. And the, te- <laughs> the text comes across. Is it time to go yet? And I'm laughing my behind off at home thinking about this the whole time. Like, that would probably been me if I'd have been there. Yeah. In our, I, defense, in our defense, too, UNC was driving, and it looked like they were going to go up 17 to nothing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. the defense was stopping them to only field goals. And it was like, all right, we'll wait a little bit longer. And I hate to sound that way, but it's just the everything came off slow to begin with. The team did. And then they just kept getting better and better and better. And don't – glad we stayed. But, yeah, you know, first quarter, we're like, man, this might be a short night. <laughs> All right, moving on to Twitter. Here we come with a question that I thought was going to be for Josh, but he's not with us tonight. Somewhere in the woods, he walked off at, at Chapel Hill. We have no idea where he is. We have no idea. At the Duke of Cupa, he says, y'all are religious folks, which is true. I've been in church all my life. So does God hate Duke because we are the Blue Devils? I, I would say I would say no. I would say maybe if we were the Red Devils, he might hate us more. I, I'm not sure. No. Uh, God punished us from 1995 to 2007. And then like the Israelites coming out of Egypt with David Cutcliffe, we went back to the, not the garden of good and evil. God, I'm butchering Bible stories. (laughs) We went back to, we know we went back to the land of, of milk and honey and we enjoyed that for a few years. And then we went right back to, to the dark ages. And now the new prophet, Mike Elko, has brought us out of exile. So, he's, you know. He's parted, he's parted the Red Sea for us. <laughs> yeah. Is what you're trying to say, Brian? Yeah. Mike and Elko sh- has parted the Red Sea, preferably. Hey, I and just narrated, I narrated the Bible in 30 seconds. There you go, folks. And shout out to at Duke Defender who asked a sim- similar question. He says, why does God give us Duke fans his hardest battles? I, you know... I think it because I say this, I believe it was because we are true fans. I think a Duke fan can put up with the crap that we have to put up with from all this junk because we are true fans. We sit out there and we do, you know, we go through it all and it it doesn't phase us. And I think that's one of the signs of being a real true fan. Had this happened in any other any other ACC school, you know, they'd have give up, gone home, tossed rocks, kicked whatever. They'd have give up on it. But Duke fans, it's almost like we enjoy it to a point because it happens all the freaking time. And it's not funny, but I think it makes us stronger as a fan. I think it makes us love the team more, having to put up with some of the crap we have to put up with. And I think also, too, um, you know, the parents, you know, a lot of the parents have commented and stuff like that about the about the players. I think that's the way we are. I think that's why we are the way we are. I think that's one of the things as 
fans because we were fans number one obviously but the closer that we've gotten to the program to the players to the families and all that other stuff man we want them to win just as much as they do they're the ones that go out there every day and practice they're the ones that put their life i won't say life on the line but they work their behinds off to get where they are and when they lose we feel it as a fan base anyway but we almost feel it from their level and that may sound cliche it may sound stupid but i think that's where we're at now i think as we're getting closer and things are going on and we you know jordan mentioned super seniors earlier we've been around a bunch of these guys for five and six years and we are close i guess is the word i i I don't know how to put it any other way without me fumbling over my mouth for five minutes so i think that's part of the thing all of us all the people now that are part of the group here that are starting to get in this and starting to care and i said this a couple weeks ago we're losing games and things are not going right and this is the most i've ever seen a duke football fan base ever complain thank god because used to, we couldn't get more than five people to sit in the stands for more than 30 minutes without wussing out and going home because it was 7 nothing at the end of the first quarter. So, yes, it sucks that we have to go through some of the trials and tribulations, but we're finally starting to get to the top of that the roller coaster ride where it just becomes fun and we ride down that hill and have a great rest of the season. Scott just called Brian out because Brian was one of the fans that left after seven nothing. After twenty years of going through it, yeah, sorry, I'm guilty. <laughs> All right, at Blade for Duke says he saw a post from a UNC fan that the offensive lineman is allowed more than three yards down the field if he is engaged with a defender. He said rule book I saw on online for 2023 does not mention that exception, and he would love some clarification. First of all, that UNC fan is full of shit. Sorry, YouTube. Sorry, YouTube. We might have to this. We might have to risk to beat me out, Justin. Beat that out. Uh, but anyways, he's full of it. Uh, because that dude was in the end zone by himself. Like he wasn't he wasn't engaged with anybody. Yeah, to go off of that, I was getting I was in the mud, deep in the mud on Twitter, if you couldn't tell on uh, Saturday night. I was just letting it fly. I didn't care who was in the who was in the shot, but they were doing screenshots. UNC fans have the screenshots. Like the millisecond that is out of Drake May's hands, the the offensive line's at the goal line, which in college is three yards. You get three yards. So technically on the screenshot, they are correct. But in reality, that's not what happened. In reality, the ball's in the air. The lineman keeps going down the field to where he's seven yards outside of where he should have been, and that's why he ducks because he got caught. And the fact that it was not called was mind-blowing to me because he's just so out in the open. I mean, he looks like oh, he looks like a whale on land. Like he's like, I should not be here. What is happening? He looks like a beached whale in the end zone, and it doesn't get called. And I'm yelling at the TV, and now you got me worked up again, Jamie. So thanks for the question. All right. At LA Dodgers all day says, how much do we have to pay to get the same officiating favors? He's, well, he wants it year after year, too. Like, we don't want it just one year. We want it every year. Take the high road. <laughs> We're just yeah. trying to see if we got the budget for that. Like, do we have the budget? Do you, do uh, you we, want good officiating, or do you want the players to leave? Yeah. Donate to the Durham Devils Club. That's right. Oh, I wasn't ready. 
Um, okay, so this is an interesting question. At Seth Bishop, he wants to know, is there something to Elko losing in close games? He says the Notre Dame game, UNC both years, Georgia Tech game last year. And he also mentions the prevent defense, which we talked about earlier, which not really a prevent defense like Jordan mentioned earlier. But what do, what do y'all think about the close close game losses? And we've lost four games this year to four ranked teams. He's a That's, he's a win away from tenth all time in wins in Duke football history. He's been here for almost two. He's years. not finished two years yet. I mean, that's a, that's insanity. But I mean, and he can't get out there and play for them. I mean, he's making all the right calls to put us in the position to win. Right, and uh, ironically enough, while you're talking about calls that switched games, the Georgia Tech game they called Duke for OPI on John Tavis Robertson, and it was not offensive pass interference because he was behind the line of scrimmage. And Duke would have won that game because Duke would have scored a touchdown there because we had a first and goal at the one. But I digress on that point. But also, if you want to look at the losses, they are tight losses. It's kind of like Shire right now with Duke basketball. At the end of the day, it's a first. It's a first year head coach basically i know he's in year two but you're still figuring out the kinks of like certain things in certain situations the fact duke's even in some of these games like cutcliffe was pro was a professional duke's tied zero zero three three against a ranked team in the first quarter then duke got blown out second third and fourth elko had duke one play away from the 11th best team in the country and was leading three quarters at the number four best team in the country in tallahassee so like He's there. It's just he's got to get his guys eventually, too. The only two losses I can think of to where Duke, in my opinion, should not have won the game at the end of it, the Kansas game and the Louisville game. I can't think of any other game to where it was like they were the better team and they should have won. One from each season. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, even in – Coach Hilko's rookie season. I mean, he had us just what a matter of points away from the ACC championship. Game. Sixteen. Like, yeah. Um, at TS Lester underscore. He's just he's just wanted to note something and kind of curious of our our opinion. Uh, he's been vocal since uh, Saturday night and saying when you got twenty five seconds left and one timeout, I guess before halftime, why not take a deep shot? And he'd want our thoughts on that. Like, why just why did we just kind of run the clock out instead of instead of taking our taking our shot i guess grace correct me if i'm wrong guys again a lot happened saturday night wasn't grayson kind of still struggling to to get going and everything it was really the second half that he really got things rolling right and duke was going to get the ball to start the second half so why not be down two points at the half Mm -hmm. instead of possibly throwing a pick six to where now you're down what Eight, nine, 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 you know, and, so and then even if you don't throw a pick six there, I'm not sure what Carolina's timeout situation was at that time. I can't remember, but if you throw an interception there and you give the ball to Drake May with 20 seconds left, I mean, Te- Tez Walker, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, because he's pulling a rabbit out of the freaking hat no matter what he's doing. It's not out of the hat that he's pulling it, but yes, I'm trying to keep a PG. Let's see. So many questions uh, at Fish Fry. Sorry, at Fish Fry 02. He has so many questions and what ifs about last night. He's like, but we must move on to UVA. So here we go. Our first question about UVA. Good, because uh, I was about to call the mailbag. <laughs> what's the chances the team comes out pissed and fired up and ready to prove a point and just absolutely dominates UVA on Saturday? Yeah. Um, 
Well, we all saw what happened last year with UVA, and I don't think UVA is going to do what they did last year before the game at Wallace Wade. And for those of you who don't know, the kickers were warming up, and UVA decided to lock arms, walk the entire length of the field, and they walked straight through the kickers. You don't do that with the team, especially a team with a chip on their shoulders. I believe I, I Coach Elko said it tonight. I was watching a little bit of his uh, show, and um, and I think they had it tonight because Duke basketball is playing tomorrow night against Michigan State. That's like yeah. 10 references to basketball. This will never yeah. happen again, folks. We promise. Um, but he said, and I think a, a fan that was there asked him, like, how do you mentally get past this game and on to the next one? And he basically said, we have taught these guys you're going to take your day, you're going to, th- you know, get it out of your system, and then you're going to be ready for the next game. So, again, we're recording on a Monday night. I'm sure that they came together today. Cool. Everyone good. We're on to UVA. This is what we need to do. One game at a time. So, yeah, I'm sh- that UNC game stung for fans. It definitely stung for the players. You know, I was on the field when they were walking to the locker room. It sucks. Plain and simple. But how do you how do you make it up? You kick the next team's tail. You get the win. Heading into Thanksgiving weekend to hopefully get eight wins and then go down to the land of the creamy condiments, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, hopefully. To, to go off that real quick, Brian, uh, last year Duke, like we talked about, felt like they were hosed against UNC and felt like that one got away. How do you come back? Duke went on the road, beat Miami 45-21 the next game. So, like, this team has proven that they can do that. And I'm just wondering how much time this week does Coach Elko spend uh, making his Father's Day wish list for uh, Tony Elliott? You mean phony Elliot? Phony yeah, Elliot. Yeah. Uh, at CB Jones 725, kind of a comment. I thought this was good. I don't, we don't really have to speak on it, but I wanted to read it. I thought it was good. He's like, like you guys, I've been a huge Duke fan since the 1980s. I think 2023 is the best team I have seen. He said 1989, 1994, and 2013 will end up with better, maybe a better record and slash accolades, but they didn't have the schedule or the injuries this team has faced. He said, I put this team over each of them. And he says, am I crazy? He's proud, proud of the guys. Uh, and at, one more question. This will be it for the questions. <laughs> Brian's, Brian's, Brian's Sorry. Sorry, I've had a long weekend. I'm still catching up from that UNC game Saturday night. So at Drew Chesh, I thought this was a good question too because we've been asking it all year. In brief moments in the Chapel Hill College game, the offense involved Nikki as an intermediate passing target. Any idea why that's so sporadic and rarely used option in Johns' offense? And we've we've literally talked about it all year, and we can't figure out because Nicky seems to be a weapon when he's used. Not only can he block, he can catch, and he's, he's physical and, and fast for a tight end. You would think you'd want to use him a little more. I feel the same way about Jeremiah when he's in the game. Um I'm not 100% sure. I know that I, I picked up on this, and this is not, not me by any means trying to be mean, but I noticed a lot of times during practice when they were lining up in positions, and they do this a lot during games, they put the tight end as far right as they can. And it's almost like they want everybody else in the middle to do everything, and the tight end's just out there running a seam route or whatever. And I've never seen that before. I've never seen a tight end line up the way they do for a lot of times. And it's always taking the defender out there. So I don't know. Maybe that's just they're trying to get the defender or whatever open. 
But, yeah, you're right. When they do throw the ball to the big fella, I mean, he catches it. Jeremiah, same deal. So I would love to see, and, and we really didn't do that two years ago. We've had many good tight ends. I mean, Noah Gray, prime example, he's an NFL player. He didn't get used as well as he could have before this group came in. Hour and 15 minutes, I finally got him. <laughs> well, well, look, that was a another huge mailbag segment. Thank you to each and every one of you who sent in your questions. We look forward to getting more mailbag questions for next week's UVA reaction episode as we look ahead to Pitt. But we've got to keep this train rolling. Let's go to our newest segment, one that we've all enjoyed in the last year and a half. And that is this week in Blue Devil history. Scott, what do you have for us this time? You're muted. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> You're still muted. I know. <laughs> okay. All this right. Is, just making sure. This is the one time every time that I mute myself <laughs> to make sure I'm in order and ready to go and trying to get to another screen. And it always happens. And this <laughs> screws me up every stinking time. All right. So. All right, take two. Scott, what do you have for us this week? All right, so for this week in Duke football history, sorry, because I have messed myself up anyway before we got to this point. We're going to go back to November 18, 2017. Duke compiled 500 yards of total offense with 319 on the ground to defeat the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets 43-20. Daniel Jones was 18 of 26 with 177 yards and two TD passes and 15 rushes for 91 yards and one touchdown. Britton Brown had 14 rushes for 116 yards and one touchdown. Jonathan Lloyd had five catches for 57. Sean Wilson had three receptions for 36 yards and two touchdowns. Joe Giles Harris led the team with 14 tackles, and Marquise Waters had nine total tackles. Big Victor Demukeji had the one interception and returned at 26 yard. The game was tied 20-20 at halftime, and Duke took over in the second half with 10 points in the third and 13 in the fourth. This was Duke's fifth win of the season and moved them one step further to bowl eligibility where they would play the Northern Illinois uh, in the quick lane bowl that season. And that was this week in Duke football history brought to you by Bull City Sheet Metal. No matter what your duck needs, if your air goes through it, they make it. Give them a call today at 919-354-0993 or visit bullcitysheetmetal.com. Jamie, you didn't hold your hand up like Josh usually does. It was on your screen. Nope, nope, it's already – yep, that's what you should have done. I was trying to get you to it. So, yeah, another uh, This Week in Blue Devil History. Always good to go back in time and relive some of the great moments in Duke football history. But we're going to keep rolling. Usually this is the part where Josh segues me into the tail of the tape. But obviously Josh is finding himself in the woods again. We hope he's back next week. If not, well, who knows? We'll maybe have Jordan back or Freddie Hodges of the uh, Duke report. But as I stated earlier, we got to look ahead. We're going to look ahead now to the UVA Cavaliers who – Unfortunately, are not doing as well as many thought they would do. Well, none of us are really that, you know, sad that they're going through what they're going through. But anyway, let's get right into it. Tell of the tape for the Virginia Cavaliers. Last year, Virginia went three 
and seven and did not make it to a bowl game. They canceled their last two games due to that unfortunate shooting on campus. Now, UVA is currently two and eight overall now and one and six in the ACC. And last week, the Cavaliers were defeated by Louisville 31 to 24 in that epic Thursday night game. Head coach Tony Elliott is in his second year of being the head coach of the Cavaliers. And before coming to Virginia, Elliott was the offensive coordinator at State from 2015 to 2021. And he had other assistant coaching stints at Furman and Southern South Carolina State, I should say. To date, Elliott has a head coaching record of 5 and 15. Overall, this is the 75th matchup between Duke and Virginia with Virginia leading the series matchup on Duke 40-34. to The first ever meeting between Duke and Virginia took place all the way back on November 27, 1890 on Thanksgiving Day in Richmond, where UVA defeated Duke 10-4. It was Duke's only game that year. Now, six, since 1963, the two teams have played every year, but this year's matchup will be the last until 2025, due to the new ACC scheduling format. And we all remember, last year Duke finally broke Virginia's seven-game winning streak, defeating the Cavaliers 38-17. The last time Duke won back-to-back games against Virginia was when Duke defeated UVA three times in a row from 2012 to 2014. And Mike Elko is all-time 2-0 against Virginia. One is a defensive coordinator, and of course, last year's game. And now it's time for the Did You Know? Orange and blue were adopted as University of Virginia's official athletic colors at a mass student meeting in 1888. UVA's athletic teams had previously worn silver, gray, and cardinal red, but those colors did not stand out on muddy football fields, prompting a student movement to change them immediately. One of the students who attended the mass meeting was Alan Potts, a multi-sport star athlete who played on Virginia's first football team in 1888. Potts showed up at the meeting after football practice wearing a navy blue and orange scarf that he had acquired during a summer boating expedition at Oxford University. After one of Potts' fellow students pulled the scarf off Potts' neck, he waved it to the crowd and yelled, how will this do? Orange and blue were chosen as the official school athletic colors without opposition And as they say, the rest is history. And that was the tale of the tape for the Virginia Cavaliers. So 5-15 and start for Tony Elliott, not what anyone expected. On the flip side, you've got Mike Elko, who has started out with a bang with Duke. So kudos, Nina King. You made the right hire. So with that being said, before we get into predictions, again, we went a lot into the UNC game. We haven't really talked about Virginia. So, guys, I'm going to open the floor really quickly. Any thoughts on this Virginia game as we head up to Scott Scott Stadium? Yep, in Charlottesville this weekend for the 3 o'clock kickoff on the CW for the first time. I will say it looked like earlier in the year that it would just be like Duke would go in there and just absolutely lay waste to them. But ever since UVA beat Carolina and Keenan, they have they played a lot better. And then I was watching that game. Uh, it was Thursday night, correct? Yep, Thursday last, night against Louisville. Thursday night. And they had they had Louisville beat at Louisville. Credit credit to Louisville for coming back in that game and, and, and finishing off a win because that was a game that UVA very easily could have won. So, I mean, I'm looking at this game as a as a game that's 
gonna be a gonna be a tough game, and UVA is playing playing well. Yeah, they are playing well right now. Uh, Calandria has come out of nowhere as a true freshman, fourteen hundred thirty-seven yards. Now his touchdowns and interceptions eight eight and eight not are not so great, but the kid he's got it. He's got that factor. He's got the little seventeen-year-old boy look on his face, but he is a stone cold killer. I mean, the kid is unbelievable. He was out there going crazy, making great plays. And had it not been for Louisville finally waking up the other night, they possibly would have lost that game. Yeah, uh, they are they're two and eight, and the record you think Duke should. I mean, Duke's a four point favorite, and people were probably looking at that like that's a trap line. That doesn't make sense. That's probably accurate because you don't know what type of Virginia team you're getting. You get the one they lost to Georgia Tech, forty one seventeen. I think that was the Georgia Tech or you can get where they almost beat Louisville and they should have beat NC State earlier this year. Calandria had Calandria is the most electric person. I've watched so much Virginia football, it's sickening, but I just love bad football, so I can't turn away. But the kid had a two-point conversion they converted on at the 18-yard line because they had a 15-yard penalty. So they had to do a two-point conversion with 18, got it, helmet came off, took his helmet off, and then uh, NC State went down the field, kicked the game-winning field goal. That's how they lost. He can spin it, and I've said it on the Big J and Little J show. I'll say it on here, too. If anybody remembers Brandon Kinnett against Pitt, 58-55, he had four touchdowns and four picks. That's literally what you're going to see with Anthony Calandria when Duke plays him. He's going to have the throw, and you're like, wow, this kid can really spin it. And then he's going to throw in triple coverage like this kid's awful. But that's why he's the best. It's a roller coaster, and it's going to be exciting to watch. Any chance they break out Tony Blunderbuss, as I call him, Tony Musket? Is he hurt? I can't. I don't know if he's hurt. I think I think he's been hurt. Okay, okay. I'm not I've sure not if watched... he is currently, because Calandria it gives him the best chance, in my opinion. Yeah, I saw Blunderbuss against UNC. He looked good. I mean, obviously yeah. led him to a victory, but I was just curious. Uh, a couple of notes uh, as far as the team overall. Paris Jones, their leading running back, which their their running attack isn't the greatest. He will not be in the game. He had that unfortunate back injury against Louisville, had to have spine surgery. He will not be playing. UVA as a team averages only 23 points a game. That's 96th in the country. That's not going to cut it. Hence, probably why they're 2-8. Their defense gives up 32 points a game, 114th in the country. So something to think about. So to me, it sounds like the running game is not going to be where it needs to be. Does Virginia just air the ball out? They, they've still got some big boys. Right. They can catch the football. They'll they'll for sure air it out because Malik Washington's unbelievable. He, Duke played him last year when he was at Northwestern, and the guy is – he just puts up dumb numbers. I mean, he had – I think he's had at least five games over 100 yards, and he had over 100. I think he had like 140 or something at Louisville. And Duke couldn't do anything against Louisville. 1,200 receiving yards, seven touchdowns, and there's still two games left in the season. So, yeah, he's going to be one to watch. And Kobe Pace, he's the other running back that's uh, complimented Paris Jones. It could be his time to shine, seeing as uh, uh, Paris is not going to be on the field at all. So, well, with that being said, it is now time to head into our predictions for this weekend's game. But before I do, Scott raises – no, what you got, Scott? Come on. 
No, I mean, I was going to have you go ahead and give the predictions from last week winners, but you were probably getting ready to do that. I got you, man. I got you. Again, great minds think alike. We were on the same page with the Durham Devils Club earlier. We're on the same page with the predictions. So we have, I believe, three brand new winners this season, guys. I don't think I've called these folks names ever. On Twitter, (laughs) this is a good one. We have Tony Parker French. He predicted UNC to win 43-27, to so he's pretty close to UNC's score. On Facebook, Josh Evans predicted UNC to win 38-21. to I believe he might have won last year. I don't know. Name sounds familiar. And then on Instagram, Mariah Warren predicted UNC to win 34-21. to So Scott will be reaching out to the three of you to get your information so you can get a free Section 17 shirt sent your way so now fellas it's time we're going to give our predictions for this weekend's game up in charlottesville three o'clock kickoff on the cw now jordan alluded to it earlier i had the line at three and a half but i guess it's gone up a half a point jordan so now it's at four points yeah it might be either one just three all right we'll say three and a half to four so that's a lot closer than what many people probably would have thought a couple of weeks ago over under is 40 Four points, okay. Over under is forty eight and a half points. So it's down, it's gone down to forty seven and a half. Oh, really? Okay. So, uh, man, tell you what, you got to watch it because Vegas they'll they'll creep up on you with these lines. So, um, well, like like I say, I'll I'll go first since I'm already talking. So this is going to be another one of those games where Duke gets back on in form. They're going to win their seventh game. I have no doubt. I do think the score is going to be closer than what most folks are going to think, but it's not going to reflect the game itself. I've got Duke winning 31 to 24, so it will be over. But I, again, I do think it's going to be a day. I think Jordan Waters is going to creep closer to that single season rushing touchdown record. I think Grayson's going to throw a couple touchdowns. I just think it's going to get be one of those games to fix what not was broken at UNC, but some things that they could have gotten better at as they head into the last game of the year against Pitt. Now, as far far as jersey combo, I'm just going to say it. Virginia is like the Oregon Ducks of the ACC. They have so many different combinations, which I love, don't get me wrong, but I have no earthly idea what Duke's going to wear. So I went back in time for the last five games that um, Virginia wore. They went blue, orange, white, and 21. They went white, blue, white in 20. They went white, orange, white in 19. They went white, blue, white in 17. And they went blue, blue, white in 15. All games in Scott Stadium. Duke, for the majority of those games, has gone blue, white, blue, which is not something you typically see them rock that. Well, I mean, it's their traditional away um, uh, color. So I think they're just going to keep it as tradition. They're going to go blue, white, blue. They're going to have that big white D on the helmet and they're going to go away with the victory to get their seventh win of the season edging closer hopefully to Charlotte in the Duke's Mayo Bowl who is next anyone there I'll we go next. I'll go next I uh I think I can see the path that you're talking about it would be nice with Malik Washington uh being the baller that he is if Miles Jones could be healthy and we can get Miles Jones back because he's missed obviously a little over a month. It seems like now it's always good to have him healthy, but I do think Duke's going to run the ball. I think it's going to be close. It's going to be a weird environment because the like Duke's going to come in, but I think they're honoring the 
three players from last year because this week is the year anniversary. So they have all they have three numbers in the end zones for this weekend, and the game's gonna be on the CW. So it's just the CW has been weird all year, and I think it's gonna continue to be weird. And yeah, I think it's gonna be a grind because the one thing that I am I, Loftus does have me as a believer. I let me get on record, but. Like you said, Brian, UVA can't run the ball, but they ran for over 220 yards against UNC. That's the only game they could run very well at. So is it UNC's defense that's the problem? So we're going to see when Duke plays UVA if losses can carry that momentum and confidence to Virginia. But I think Duke wins by going on the ground. And I, since you went blue, white, blue, I'll go blue, white, white with the blue ID. What's the score for your uh, game? Oh, sorry. Uh, I think it's going to be 31-21. 31-21, okay. Jamie, you uh, click the unmute button as well. What you got? I uh, Yeah, I'm thinking along the same lines as uh, Gordon, actually. Uh, I think that it's going to be a tough, grinded-out game. Um, and it's going to be in the fourth quarter. I think it could be – I was thinking that – Along the lines, it could be something like 24-20 in the fourth quarter, and Duke and Duke scores, and there, that's where my score was going to be. Even after Jordan said 31-21, I was going to say 31-20 to Duke. Um, I just think it's going to be a tough, tough game. But I think Grayson will continue to show us his growth. But I agree with Jordan. I think we try to run the football as always, which is which is our strength, and it's been our strength all year. Even when Raleigh was in, that's what we did. We ran the football. Um, as far as jersey combos, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna straight up steal bronze. Uh, cause that's what I was thinking too. Blue, white, blue. White D. Large or small? Large. There we go. Scott, go ahead and finish up predictions for us, bud. All right. So uh, for those of you that are gonna be there, we are actually gonna be there. We're gonna drive up Saturday morning, uh, hang out. We're gonna hook up with the hard hats and tailgate. So we'll get that information out there later on in the week once we uh, get that settled with the hard hats. Uh, looking forward to heard it's a beautiful uh, place, beautiful stadium. And honestly, I am the big softy of the group. So if they're honoring the three guys, that definitely will be something that will touch me because I'm all for that stuff. I mean, I, I'll probably ball just like anybody else will because that stuff just does it for me. And I don't know why. It's just what I am. I'm a big teddy bear. What can I say? All right, so as far as uniforms, guys, I see white. I see white. I think they're going to come blue, blue, blue. That's what I hope for, but they'll probably do something different. Um, I see white. I'm going to go blue, though, with the big white D on the ha- on the hat. Something different. Um, and then for the score, I'm going to Bob Barker, 30-21. Because I think we're going to see the Todd father's leg a couple times extra just to make Josh real happy if he ever comes out of the woods there. I'm pretty sure that some axe murderer over in Chapel Hill has wrapped him up somewhere and has him hiding deep in Orange County over there close to <laughs> over there close to where the what was it, the, where they filmed Kiss the Girls? Yes. Back in the day? With Morgan maybe, Freeman. That's right. And Ashley Judd. Whew. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> uh, we did not get Josh's predictions because, again, we thought he was going to be on here tonight, but 
he's still trying to find his way out of the woods. Josh, we kid. We love you, buddy. So it doesn't um, really matter what he says. Oh, all right, Rock. <laughs> In all seriousness, Josh is at a pastor's retreat that he uh, forgot that he had today. And wherever it is, there is no cell phone reception. He thought it, that they were going to have Wi-Fi, but obviously he's not on here. So I guess they didn't. It's old school. They might be in Deliverance, Georgia, for all we know. So he'll be back next week. He'll actually be at the game with us Saturday. So, uh, you know, give him a little grief if you see him and you watch or listen to this episode. Speaking of which, if you were listening and you were watching and you have yet to give us a five-star review, please, pause what you're listening to, watching, give us a five-star review if we've earned it. If we've not, just ignore what I'm saying right now. If you're on YouTube, please be sure to like the episode, subscribe to Duke Football Talk, and if you want to leave a comment, leave a comment. We love to interact with all the fans that leave us comments. Jordan, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but just as a reminder, give everyone a background as far as the Big J and Lil J podcast before we sign off. Yeah, so Big J and Lil J show, we obviously do cover football as well, just a little different spin on it, uh, more in the details, I guess, <laughs> like blabbing is what we do. But now with basketball season started, we are crossing over into basketball as well. So we had the preview of the Arizona game. We'll probably record again after the Michigan State game and recap those. So busy time of the year uh, doing two sports, but best time of the year, holiday season. So, yeah, I appreciate you giving Big J and Little J show a shout out. Well, and, and Jordan's repaying the favor. If you listened to last week's episode, I came on with like two minutes to, to, to spare to try to give my thoughts on all things Duke football. So we give, we take, we help each other out. But yeah, we'll be back next week for the final regular season episode. Well, second to last, because we'll have a reaction episode to the pit game. We're going to have an interview. We didn't have one this week because of all the mailbags. Again, thank you for all the questions. Scott's excited. I'm not going to say who it is. You're just going to have to tune in and watch and listen. But we've got another great uh, personality lined up to talk all things Pitt and ACC. But again, that'll do it for us. Another episode in the books. We really appreciate you listening and watching. We hope to see as many of you as possible in Scott Stadium in Charlottesville. If not, we'll see you next weekend at Wallace Wade for the final game of the year against the Pitt Panthers. But for Jamie Holt, for Scott Medlin, for Jordan Mann of the Big J and Little J podcast, for the roaming Josh Cox in the woods and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. Now turn the music up!